Welcome in, everybody. Episode, what are we up to? Episode 46 of the Sports Gospel Podcast. So who's the best number 46? Do we have, do we have a number for that? For that? Uh, Chris Cooley. Was he 46? No, he's 47. There's a 46 out there. I don't have it pulled up in front of me. I remember when we used to do that in the old version of the show. We had one every week. We had one every week. Who's the best number 46 in sports? I don't know. How about... I'll, I'll introduce the show. You look that up for me. So in this week's episode, it will be our Super Bowl preview. We touched on it a little bit, but some new co-host in this week. So we're going to talk about the Super Bowl here for the first uh, 15, 20 minutes or so. And then I will take you home here at the end. We'll kind of look at the NBA trade deadline. Most of the dust has settled there. Big UFC card this weekend we want to preview. Uh, maybe we'll see what's going on in college basketball. We're getting kind of down to the nitty gritty, separating the what's it, the wheat from the chaff. Is that how the saying goes? And kind of just take a look around the sports world and see what we have. But first, we're going to start talking about the Super Bowl. Um, just kind of some, I don't, I don't know where we want to start. Super Bowl, I have historical context. I have information about the Rams and Bengals. I have a little game for us to play at the end. I, you know, we'll just kind of, this just like, this just lean into it a little bit. How excited are we to the fact that the Cincinnati Bengals made it to the Super Bowl this year? I don't know that anybody, I mean, as much as I think a lot of people loved the Bengals and loved Joe Burrow going into the season, I don't think anybody really predicted this to be their season. And it's not over yet, obviously, right? But even last week or two weeks ago when we were watching the game against the Chiefs, it was 21 to nothing. And I know, I, I, can't, I'm not, I know I'm not the only person that said, wow, the Chiefs are just going to overwhelm them. The Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl. The Chiefs are obviously the better team. This game is over. And they scored one field goal in the second half, and the Bengals came all the way back, which is an awesome win. So, um, again, I don't know that anybody really predicted this kind of season uh, for the Bengals, and I know Bengals fans out there are um, super excited to have their team for the first time in I don't know how many years playing the Super Bowl. So I'm excited about this matchup. Again, like this is not something that we would have predicted at the beginning of the season. I doubt that there's many people that did. And so this is something for once in a while, for, oh, in a long time, this is a matchup that I am really looking forward to seeing. So you have kind of restored my faith. This was my thought heading into this. Has there been a more meh team in recent history than the Rams? I don't know if it's because we're all so in love with the Cincinnati Bengals Cinderella story, but I feel like the Rams, maybe it's because we expected them to be here. They were just in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, but I just feel like the Rams are like, oh yeah, they're there. They're the favorite. They're very talented. But I don't feel all that excitement. Last year was so exciting. Brady and Mahomes. Maybe the 49ers a couple of years ago were kind of eh, but I feel like even then they were a really good team. I'm trying to think. But back. you have to think, too, that Super Bowl was the first time Patrick Mahomes was in the Super Bowl. So even though it was an eh, maybe for the Niners just because they weren't super exciting, it was the first time we really saw Patrick Mahomes reach the pinnacle of that game. So that was, I mean, for what it's worth, that was this, it was opposite kind of what we were seeing now. Maybe the 2017 Eagles, because the, the Brady Patriot teams were always exciting. The Panthers had Cam. The Seahawks were great with the LOB defense. Maybe and the Falcons, I think, had a lot of excitement because how potent that offense was. But I feel like the Rams is like, oh, yeah, the Rams are also in the Super Bowl. But, like, the Bengals, it's all about the Bengals. Side note, I was in Las Vegas this last weekend for a work trade show convention. And the NHL All-Star Game was there. The Pro Bowl was there. And there's all these Bengals fans coming out of the woodwork. I don't know if they're new Bengals fans or if they're long-suffering Bengals fans from the last 30 years who are finally getting a chance to relish this. But they are in droves. There are Bengals fans everywhere in the last week. I don't know if they all just got their new hats or if they've just been waiting for their opportunity. You know, I don't know, but I just looked at this post on Instagram. And I don't know if you've seen it, but nope. the uh, 
the Cincinnati Bengals had their rally in Cincinnati at the stadium, and I think the number was 20,000, 25,000 fans showed up to the rally, which is like awesome, you know, right? Obviously, they haven't been to a Super Bowl. I don't know how much winning the state of Ohio, I guess, has really done. I mean, LeBron James saved him for a little bit. but Ohio been, State does it all. But it's been hard, and even they haven't won in a, in a gob. Because so. what do you have? The... But then you went you look at the the rams and they they had the same kind of deal same kind of fan rally thing and i think there was like 2000 fans there yeah la does not care and it's and part of it is part of it is la doesn't care part of it is i do think that overall the the sense especially in the nfl and even though it's not entirely possible but you do feel like you know they have so much superstar powers like how how much more money do they need to spend to get this championship right they've been we've been kind of waiting for them to do it for a handful of years and they got rid of jared goff and they got matt stafford and you know they got obj and aaron Aaron donald and von miller and Jalen ramsey and how many more superstars do you feel like they need to actually win a championship so it's kind of one of those teams where it's like we don't almost don't want them to win only because they have so many superstars on their team yeah it does kind of feel like they're they're kind of like the new age Cowboys or the Yankees where they just buy all the talent they need. But, hey, that's the game. Don't be, don't, don't hate the player. And I'm not even mad because there's still a salary cap in the NFL. But at the end of the day, that's why I, part of the reason why we're so excited to see the Bengals in there because they almost did it the old school way in a, weird, in a weird sense. I mean, they obviously got a generational talent in Joe Burrow. But a book of their players are draft, draft picks. And so it goes to show you if you do get the right quarterback, a rebuild can happen fairly quickly if the ownership decides that they want it to be that way. So I want to touch more on that here in a little bit, but some of your random historical context. The Rams are 1-3 all-time in the Super Bowl. The Bengals are 0-2. The only time the Rams won their Super Bowl is when they were in St. Louis. They're 0-3, or I guess 0-2 in L.A., 0-1 in St. Louis. Since 2000, the AFC leads 13-8 in Super Bowls. Tom Brady leads 6 to nothing. I am going to say, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning account for a lot of that. In that time, the NFC has only won back-to-back in 2009. Well, they won three straight, 2009 to 2011. Otherwise, the NFC has never repeated since 2000, which that's a point for the Bengals. The NFC leads all-time 7-5 to five in Super Bowls in the state of California. Since 2010, there's been two first-time Super Bowl winners. Can you name either of those two teams? Since 2010? Since the 2000 season, so 2001 Super Bowl, there's only been two first-time Super Bowl winners. Seahawks? That's one. The other one is also an avian species. Eagles? There you go. Yeah. Eagles and Seahawks. Other teams have been there and lost or won. The Eagles had been there before, too. I guess the Seahawks had also been there before, too, before they won. Yeah. So I don't know if any of that means anything. There seems to be points for the AFC and points for the NFC, depending on how you cut that down. Yeah, that's interesting. And, you know, again, I'm really excited about this. And also the other reason, too, is kind of the, you know, the Peyton Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady, right, that kind of Drew Brees, that era quarterback is kind of shown. I mean, they all are retired now, which is which is really fun to watch because now we have Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes, and, you know, we have a bunch of new quarterbacks uh, that are going to be competing, and they're all, you know, uh, we look at, uh, what's his name, the pace of the Bills, uh, Josh. Josh Allen. Josh Allen, and that how incredible, how incredible of a game was that, by the way. Um, and so, you know, I'm really excited to see kind of who's, who, is it going to be one quarterback that kind of puts their, because their fingerprint on all of it and it's going to dominate, or is it going to be three or four going after it every single year? You know, you kind of don't know. Um, but I am really excited to, to see, you know, what the competition is going to be like, because we have, you know, four or five really elite quarterbacks that are playing 
um, at a really high level that are early stages in their career at this point. So um, it's going to be exciting for the future even. Um, And, you know, Joe Burrow obviously is kind of starting that. But Patrick Mahomes was kind of the initial guy in that run. Well, let's talk about Mr. Burrow and those Bengals, some of the research on them. Coached by Zach Taylor, who was the quarterback coach for the Rams on that 2018 team that made the Super Bowl. He probably gets a lot of credit for Mr. Goff's success and got the job with the Bengals back when all the rave was hiring a guy who coached around Sean McVay or anybody who met Sean McVay got interviewed or hired for NFL coaching jobs. Or just breathed the air of Sean McVay. Yes. yes. The Bengals were 2-3 and three against the NFC this year. They got to play against your NFC North. Yeah, they beat the Vikings week one. Yeah, they sh- they, yeah that, was, that was a good game. So on the other side of that, the Rams are 4-1 and one versus the AFC. So if you put any credence in cross-conference, granted the Rams did get to play the AFC South, so I don't know how much credit you get for that. <laughs> um, well, that's a tight. No, the AFC. Yeah, it's the Titans, right? Yeah, but it's also the Texans and the Jags and, yeah. the, and the up-and-down Colts. Right. And so the the one game they lost was against the Titans. So in the cross-conference, you have to give the advantage to the Rams. And it wasn't close either that game wasn't there was like a it was like a primetime game it wasn't close but i think it's it is eerie how similar these two teams are uh the Bengals are 13th in total offense the uh so the rams are ninth in total offense Bengals are 13th in total offense the Bengals are 18th in total defense the rams are 17th in total defense the Bengals seventh in passing offense the rams fifth in passing offense the Bengals fifth in rushing defense the rams sixth in rushing defense both teams are seventh and eighth in scoring offense, and they both allowed approximately 22 points per game. So these teams are almost mere images of each other when you look at the numbers. Can I can I make a correction on a point that everybody keeps trying to make? Absolutely. That the Bengals they're they're the second half comeback team. They have they have the late game heroics. They had one game of late game heroics, and it was against the Chiefs. So can we stop this Bengals or the second half team because they have only had two second half comebacks. Uh, and then uh, and then the last two weeks, right? Because they came back in the divisional round, right? Mm-hmm. Or no? Nope. They let it half in the first two playoff games, and then they actually tied their opponents in the second half. So all they did was ride their first half lead to a win. They did trail the Chiefs 21-10 to 10 at the half. So, yes, they did have the comeback against the Chiefs, winning it in overtime. So I feel like we have this short memory. We think, oh, they're the cardiac kids, late-game heroics. They did it against the Chiefs, and they did it twice in the regular season. So let's calm down a little bit thinking that, oh, the Bengals can come back from any hole. I don't know that I would totally buy that. If they can, good for them. Evan McPherson, even though he's a rookie, looks like the guy you want, the ice-in-his-veins kicker late in the game. If this comes down to a field goal, you may want to give the coin flip to the Bengals, but I'm not so sure that if the Rams get out the way the Rams can and score early and often, that the Bengals can dig back from that. I do think that the Rams' defense is significantly better than the uh, than the Chiefs' defense. Yes. So it does make a big difference, and... Uh, it's one of those things where it's almost like one of the worst matchups for the Bengals because you think about the weakness on the offense for the Bengals. It's their offensive line. I think they give up eight sacks in the divisional round. Um, I couldn't yeah. tell you how many sacks they give up against the Chiefs, but I know that the number isn't something that uh, Joe Burrow is very happy about, obviously, right? You don't like getting hit. But uh, you think about Aaron Donald, you think about Von Miller. Even though Von Miller is technically considered past his prime, he's still Von Miller. And so you can't double-team both of them, and a lot of times – Aaron Donald's going to be that guy that takes up two, maybe even sometimes three offensive linemen. So it's just a really bad matchup for the Bengals in that regard, right? So you think, like, with all that star power, especially on the defensive line, like, what do the Bengals do to counteract that? Kind of what is their game plan? Because, you know, it's just going to be really hard for them to think about 
both those guys coming after Joe Burrow, especially if you're going to drop back 30 times a game. And then also imagine if the Rams get out early, you 14-point lead just like the Chiefs did, right? It changes the game plan for the Bengals what to do. They're going to have to end up passing the ball more. It's just going to kind of change out, change the dynamic of the game. So um, it's just going to be a really good uh, – that part of the game is going to be something to definitely I'm going to keep my eye on. Both teams did have to come back. Both teams were down at halftime in their conference championship games. We forget the Rams were down 10-7 against the Niners. It's unfortunately it's unfortunate that the Niners don't have a quarterback to win the game. So even even when he's out of the playoffs, Jimmy Garoppolo cannot escape the hate. That not, everybody but me, I will not hate on Jimmy G. Everybody else, you in the know world what? Can. And honestly, like Jimmy G uh, was of was, was a very he was a very efficient quarterback, but. You don't pay you don't pay somebody that much money to be an efficient quarterback. You pay them to drive down the drive down when you're up down by three and score a touchdown with one minute left. That's what you pay him to do, and he didn't succeed, which was hard. It was a really bad interception at the end of the game, but you know what? They that was a that was a hard fought game, and the Rams earned their stripes. So it's going to be a fun Super Bowl. And you talked about it, this does kind of feel like the the haves versus the have-nots. The Rams go out and trade all their draft picks. They get. The big names, the Von Millers, Matt Stafford, Odell Beckham Jr. We forget they even had Deshaun Jackson for a hot minute at some point this season. So they're they're going out bringing the big names. <laughs> he still plays football. Yeah, very fast somehow. May not do anything else, but he's super fast. Um, but I think that's the difference. You look at the Bengals, which fittingly, L.A. versus Cincinnati. Cincinnati going out doing the workman type things. The guys they added are huge contributors. I think that's the difference. Obviously, Joe Burrow is just straw that stirs the drink. But they add Trey Hendrickson, who leads all uh, active players. He has more sacks than Aaron Donald. He has 14 to Donald's 12 and a half. Right. Do you want to argue that Trey Hendrickson's better than Aaron Donald? I don't, but I'll let you. I don't think that I can because Aaron Donald probably is seeing triple teams while Hendrickson's maybe only seeing one and a half. So it's a little different. But so look at Trey Hendrickson, Mike Hilton, a defensive back, Riley Reefer along the offensive line, Larry Ogunjobi, a defensive line, B.J. Hill, defensive line. Uh, I'm going to say his name. I apologize. Chidobe Awuzie, defensive back. And then obviously Jamar Chase, Evan McPherson, the rookies. The Bengals making these very savvy picks for guys who come from winning franchises. Hendrickson with the Saints, uh, Hilton with the Steelers. I believe Awuzie was with the Cowboys. So the, they have guys who have experience. They're savvy. Some postseason, uh, I think, intelligence there that the Bengals, having not been there, would not have had. So I think there's very, very smart moves, key guys in key places that I think we're underappreciating. We just want to talk about Burrow and Chase. I think what really has made the difference for the Bengals is getting the right guys in the right place to be those veteran leaders. And again, that's kind of what I mean. What I mentioned earlier, right? Where it's the Bengals, they basically have proven with the right with the right quarterback because this is a quarterback driven league that you can rebuild a franchise in two years if you choose to do so. And as you mentioned, there's certainly franchises out there, players out there that they may not be big name guys necessarily, but they bring that leadership, they bring that expertise, they bring that, you know, I've played, in, I've been here, done that before. I can teach you what it's like to win in the big games. Those kind of players, and if you bring in the right group of ten, fifteen, it doesn't have to be a lot, but if you bring the right group of veterans and you intermix them with some superstar Jamar Chase, T Higgins, Joe Burrow kind of types. All of a sudden, you have a team that can turn it around relatively quickly. And, uh, you know, the league's a copycat league, so we're going to find out soon if there's going to be other teams around that are going to want to try out that same formula. Um, but at, at this point, right, they, have, again, have proven that you can rebuild a franchise and make it to the Super Bowl in two years if you, if you are willing to do so. Well, and that's what I want to get into here, my little game for you. 
We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. We have nine categories. Oh, boy. So we're going to find out who's got the advantage in these nine categories based on the talent, for the most part, the teams have. So, for example, quarterback. You're, you're picking who you want in this situation. Joe Burrow versus Matt Stafford. Yeah, I'm going to take Joe Burrow. And so my rationale behind that one is uh, you, Matt Stafford's been around the league for 10 years or so. I mean, and again, you're, you're playing for the lowly Lions. or I mean, He's probably been around longer than that, actually. But, 2009 draft? Yeah, so maybe right. 13, 14 years, whatever it is. And again, like you're playing for the Lions, so God bless. Like he doesn't have a lot of opportunity there. But he only made it to the playoffs one time. And he didn't win. And so he, not that he's not ever been there, but Joe Burrow has, he played on a national championship team and maybe a different level of uh, football, but he won that game, right? He's kind of been down the, the, been down the road a little bit more. He's less apt to make mistakes. I think Matthew Stafford kind of has that big game. Like we watched what he did against the Titans. He threw, you know, a pick six or two, um, you know, kind of, he has that weird, uh, that Brad Favre-esque kind of, arm so uh i'm gonna take the joe burrow on this one as the advantage you're running backs now for cincinnati you basically have joe mixon the Bengals shockingly poor as an overall rushing attack because it's mostly all joe mixon compared to the rams you've got cam makers sony michelle kind of the main guys there more of a running back by committee by the rams but you look at your running your running game do you want joe mixon or the rams stable yeah, I'm going to take the Rams stable, of course. I think that, you know, Cam Akers' story is really fascinating because I believe what they say is towards Achilles, was it six months ago or seven months ago? Sounds right. Um, And, you know, it takes a couple games to get back into the rhythm. And now I kinda think he's finally kind of hitting his stride. But um, in today's age, you know, Cam Akers and that whole crew, I think is going to be, they are for sure running behind a better offensive line, so that makes them look better. Um but as an overall advantage, I'll take two or three running backs over just the one workhorse every time. So even though Mixon's probably going to have the most yards, still the, the running back by committee there. All right, your pass catchers. We're, we're uh, lumping tight ends and wide receivers together. So with the Bengals, your main guys, Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, and then we believe C.J. Uzama is going to be healthy at tight end. Some knee concerns after the AFC title game. And over for the Rams, Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham, Tyler Higby, and Van Jefferson leading the way. Who you got as the pass catchers? Yeah, I don't know that it's cl- – I mean, I think people want it to be close, but I don't think that it is. I think that Cooper Cup and o- OBJ and that whole crew is going to be – they're better. Um, and, and not Thank and you. It, and, again, like, I think people want it to be closer than it is. I don't know. Jamar Chase is explosive. He's fun to watch. Higgins is explosive. They're fun to watch. But they have their share of concerns. And, you know, again, like something that we brought up, I think we brought it up early in the season, is like Jamar Chase is exciting and fun, but he has that weird drop issue. And yes. and even though he had all those yards and all those flashy plays, that still is an issue. We just don't see it as much because we like to watch the 70-yard slant pass that he took and broke three tackles. Um, I think Cooper Cup, OBJ are veterans. I think they're more consistent. I think they're, you know, they're ready to play on the bigger stage. I think that they've been there, done that, guys, and I think that they're going to end up having better games just surely based off of the fact that, you know, they're more reliable receivers. They have uh, an ability to get open when, the, when they need it, and they're just going to have uh, those are those guys that we can trust to make that fourth, and fourth down short catch when the game is on the line. I feel like Jamar Chase is the new OBJ. He's so much fun to watch, and we love watching him. But again, like when you're a second-year receiver, you can't 
I mean, again, if there's a flash and dash to him that everybody loves to watch, but it's all, you can only do that so much, you know. And again, like when you drop passes in crucial time, not to say that he will or he has, but you know that has been a problem for him this entire season. And so it's just the reliability factor um, that I can trust OBJ more so than I can trust Jamar Chase. And we go over to the offensive line where I don't know that we have any superstar offensive linemen in this. Andrew Whitworth is kind of the timeless wonder somehow he's still been playing. Fun fact, began his career with the Bengals, long-suffering there before he came over to the Rams and was part of their last Super Bowl team. He and Rob Havenstein, probably the two top guys for the Rams. And then you go over to the Bengals, Jonah Williams, the earlier on draft pick for him. So where do we see uh, offensive line here, the advantage? Yeah, I don't know that this one is very close either. I mean, you look at the offensive line and how many sacks that the, they, the Bengals have given up. It's kind of the one weakness. It was the weakness of, of their team last year. Obviously, with Joe Burrow getting injured, he got hit so bleeping much. But uh, I don't, again, I believe that the line of the Rams is going to be significantly better than it is of the of the Bengals, especially in a big game. You got the you got the anchor in Andrew Whitworth again, who's a timeless winner. He's been around forever, the veteran leadership. And I don't really know that the Bengals have somebody like that. So... Um, I trust the I trust the Rams offensive line in this one more more so than I do the Bengals. Now, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Mister Defensive Man. Defensive line. So with with the Bengals, uh, kind of a clear cut group. Sam Hubbard, Trey Hendrickson leading the way. You added B.J. Hill and D.J. Reader. Now with the Rams, do you want to put Von Miller and Leonard Floyd with the defensive line or the linebackers? Kind of that hybrid three four four three. They both stand up. They both go hand in the dirt a lot. Uh, we can put them probably more so with the linebackers. I mean, I don't know. I don't know the percentages and how much they drop back in coverage, I guess. So that might be something that we should have done research on, but who has the time, but look, according to my favorite website, our lads, the depth chart, they list the Rams defensive line as, um, Ashawn Robinson, Greg Gaines, Aaron Donald. And then they list Von Miller, Leonard Floyd, Christian Roseboom, and Troy Reader as the linebackers. So they're listing it as a 3-4, but I feel like Von Miller does a lot of hybrid. Yeah, Von Miller is going to contact the quarterback. I think also he's more of a situational guy anyways. He's never been somebody that's been strong in pass coverage. That's never been why he's on a team in the first place. Um, and so regardless of like the position that he's playing necessarily, he uh, is always kind of in the game for one specific reason. He's not in the game to cover a tight end on a go route. So... He may be listed as a linebacker, but he more so is a is a 3-4, come-get-the-quarterback kind of guy. So as much as I love the Bengals guys, it's Aaron Donald and Von Miller. So Yeah, and as we said before, like Von Miller's past his prime, but we've seen what he's been able to do in a Super Bowl. He's single Did he win the MVP that game? Like he, he basically stripped Cam Newton, recovered the ball, and returned it for a touchdown. And it was like one of the better plays that we've seen in a Super Bowl maybe ever. Um and so, like, he's been there, done that. He knows how to win a Super Bowl. And even though he's past his prime, I love him more than I do any of the other players. And Aaron Donald, again, like, they held that that Tom Brady-led offense to 10 points when they were playing the Super Bowl. Just the other team couldn't – their team couldn't score, right? So he's also been there. And, like, when you hold an NFL team to 10 points in this day of offense, like, you know what you're doing. You did a pretty good job. So he knows how to lead a team, and both of them being on the same defensive line. Uh, I just like the leadership. I like their ability to get to the quarterback, especially with, as we said before, the weak offensive line of the Bengals. No offense, kind of. Um, <laughs> and I just I think that they're going to have a heyday when it comes to getting after Joe Burrow. 
Von Miller was the MVP of that Super Bowl. I knew it. All right. So if we go back to the linebackers, if we leave Leonard Floyd in this group with um, Okoronkwo is the other main one there, versus Jermaine Pratt and Logan Wilson, who I believe are the two leading tacklers amongst all players in the playoffs right now. So... Yeah, and to me, this one is uh, – I, I have to give this one to the to the Bengals, and part of it is because, you know, you look at what they were able to do. It wasn't really defensive line-driven. It was more back-end-driven back as to what they did, were able to do in the second half against the Chiefs. You know, they were able to slow down a very vaunted attack that we all kind of brag about when it comes to Patrick Mahomes and, and that whole crew of, of players that the, the – the, uh, the Chiefs run out after you, but you know what? They were able to shut them down in the second half, and I think that they're coming off a hot start. Like you said, they both lead, lead what do you say, the league, the league and playoff tackles, um, and so they're playing really, really good football right now. So I really trust them more than I trust the Rams. And again, not, not to say knock on Von Miller, he's not in there to to cover CJ Uzuma. He's over in there to tackle Joe Burrow, and so you know he's strength. He's really good at what he does, but. Um, when it comes to overall linebacker play, I definitely would going to take the Bengals on this one. Defensive backs, primarily Jalen Ramsey and Taylor Rapp leading the way for the Rams. You've got Jesse Bates and Mike Hilton. I'll throw in a Wouzier there. It's kind of the main playmakers. Who are you taking from the defensive backs? Yeah, and this is I think this is probably the closest one I would agree out of all of them. And so we'll say you mean I mean, you're not gonna let me do it, but I would I would say wash only because you know the Rams have one superstar, Jalen Ramsey, and you know what do you do with him? Do you put him on? Do you put him on Jamar Chase? Do you put him on T. Higgins? Do you put him on the left and whoever comes out to that side, he shuts down, right? He's kind of that guy, and we expect him to be that player. We expect him to be a superstar or lockdown corner, regardless of who he's covering. Taylor Rapp is good, but he's not that. He's not going to be somebody that's a superstar quite on that level. So the rest of that secondary is just kind of you know there. It's one guy and then three re- kind of good guys, right? Um, and then the Bengals have four really good guys. But, you know, you take the one superstar that's going to be able to take away the OBJs, take away the Jamar Chases, take away the number one receiver on the team, you know, limit them to four catches and 40 yards, or are you going to take four really good guys that are going to be able to lock down potentially the entire offense, or but they're not going to have a guy that's going to be able to specifically take away one receiver, Cooper Cup, OBJ, that kind of, that kind of talent. And I don't believe they have that lockdown corner on their defense, so – um, it's going to be a little bit more difficult for them to potentially stop what the attack is that the Rams are going to put after him. So uh, it's a wash, but if I had to choose one, I'd probably go 51-49 to the Rams just because I want to take that superstar, the guy that's going to shut down the Jamar Chases of the world, just because that it limits what the offenses are going to be able to do. And, and I think it is close, but I would go the other way. I do think you have quantity over quality. Yeah, the Rams, you've got the best player of the whole bunch, and Jalen Ramsey may very well be the best corner in the entire game. But I like the versatility. Jesse Bates is a fantastic hitter and ball hawk. Plus, you have the other guys flanking him. So I think there's more depth with depth with the Bengals, but the top-end talent for the Rams is better, which is kind of the Rams' entire calling card. Plus, backup cornerback for the Bengals, Trey Waynes. <laughs> First-round draft pick out of Michigan State. Did he have, like, two good years for the Vikings? Yeah, two's being generous, but sure. Back when they were just drafting DBs every year. Hey, we drafted a receiver that was okay. Can you do the Justin Jefferson dance? I was watching like the skills challenge at the Pro Bowl, and he did his little. As a Vikings fan, I don't know if you'd the master gritty. that. The gritty is that what it's called? The gritty, the gritty. Is that his thing? Yeah, I can do it. Nice. It's fun. You should try it. I can barely stand up, let alone dance. Mac Jones did it. Who? 
You know, you look a little bit like Mac Jones. Yeah, I throw like him, too. All right. Well, he still wins games, so I don't know what you're talking about. Special teams. Looking mostly at the kickers and punters, Kevin Huber and Evan McPherson for the Bengals versus Johnny Hecker and Matt Gay for the Rams. We can throw in return men if you'd like to, but I was mostly looking at the guys scoring the using their legs. You know what? I, Johnny Hecker has forever always had a special place in my heart because he's a fellow Oregonian. He played for Oregon State. But, you know, after what Evan McPherson has done for the Bengals, especially in the last two games, you know, I at this point, how could you not take someone that has that cold blood in his veins? Honest to God. And it's not even – like, I don't even know how good of a kicker he was in the regular season, but somebody that comes out and makes two game-winning kicks in two crucial moments in the biggest stage – that's what you ask your kicker to do. You know, you don't miss the extra points and make the kick when it matters. So he's been he's been able to do both, and uh, you know I think that when it comes if it comes down to a field goal game, that's the that's the guy that I want to take. But I will say Johnny Hecker is a weapon, and if it becomes a field position game, he is going to be somebody that's going to you know get out his five iron and plant the ball on the five yard line, which is also fun to watch. So, but my vote goes to the Bengals. And your last one here, uh, I merged these together for the sake of having an odd number in case we needed a tiebreaker, but turnovers and penalties, something that I think is really shocking, Bengals 31st in penalties, like in a good way, they had the second fewest penalties in the league, and the Rams were 29th. I don't really think you think of either of these teams, especially the Bengals as a clean team, and then the Rams were 14th in turnovers, uh, turnover differential, and the Bengals 16th in turnover differential. So both very, very close on this front. But we always hear about turnovers and penalties, team minimizing the mistakes. So who do you feel better about controlling the ball and not making those key mistakes between the Bengals and Rams? This is also a really good question. So uh, when it comes to, you know, there's there's two ways to, to, to answer this question. For one, I don't trust Matt Stafford, and he's a really good quarterback, and he's had games where he can throw for four, turn, four touchdowns and no turnovers, and it's been really fun to watch. But he also has had games where he's thrown for one touchdown and three interceptions, and he kind of comes out and it's like, what are you doing? What did you see? Why did you throw that pass? And he continues to do that because, again, he has that kind of that Brett Favre gunslinger kind of mentality a little bit. So it's not even that it's not even that the Bengals secondary is good at take, turn, taking the ball away from him necessarily, even though they are. So they're going to take advantage of those. But is what is Matt Stafford going to be like this game? Which Matt Stafford are we going to get? And on the other side of the ball game, you look at the defense of the Rams, and we've talked about this. I mean, we've beat a dead horse at this point. They have a bunch of superstars, guys that make plays, right? Eric, you look at Von Miller with his strip sack. You look at Jaden Ramsey, you know, with the interceptions that he's had in crucial moments. Um, and those are players that we, honestly, at this point in their careers, we expect them to make those plays. Regardless of the talent on the other side of the field, regardless of the stage, regardless of whatever game we're playing in, so you know, it basically, when it comes to this prediction, it's like, what do you, what do you think is going to happen? What, do you, what is the higher chance, probability chance of happening? Mass average having, Mass average having a bad game, or the Rams defense having a really good game? I believe in Matthew Stafford more than most people, so I have, I have hard trouble, have trouble speaking against him. So it sounds like Darren's going to be picking the Rams, winning the turnover and um, the turnover battle. So I'm going to go on the other side. I don't think that I think that Matt Stafford is going to have a Matt Stafford game and maybe throw a, a weird interception early and a weird interception late. So I think the Bengals win the interception, the turnover battle. So you ended up going five to four in favor of the Rams. You gave the Rams the running backs, the wide receivers and tight ends, offensive line, defensive line, and defensive backs. 
You said the Bengals had the advantage in quarterback, linebacker, special team play, and turnover slash penalties. Yeah, and that makes sense because, again, like logically speaking, the Rams are the better team here, right? And the, just like the Chiefs are the better team. Just like you know the Bills were the better team on that field against the Chiefs. Football is a weird sport, though. Mm-hmm. And at this point, like, why would you bet against Joe Burrow? Why would you, why would you bet against his team? And against, because, again, logically speaking – there's no reason that the Bengals should be here, and there's no reason why this should be a good game. But logic aside, this is going to be somebody like they were down 21 to 10 at halftime against the Chiefs, and they came back, right? That that should have never happened. But so at this point, like, yeah, I put all the I put the advantage towards the Rams, and they probably probably do have the advantage when it comes to the players on the field, when it comes to the coaching, when it comes to everything else that's going on in in within that team. But at the same time. I'm not going to bet against Joe Burrow. So advantage goes to Bengals, even though the Rams have a better team overall. So we've done all this. Time for the million-dollar question. Predict the Super Bowl score. The score of the Super Bowl is going to be 31-27 to 27 Bengals. Wow. And What say you? As much as as much as I love this Bengals story, I just I can't convince myself that I can't convince myself that Cinderella is going to find that slipper at the end of the night. I feel like it's going to be close for a while. Then the Rams are going to make some big plays, cause some turnovers, use that veteran experience. They have a lot of guys who have been here before with that 2018 squad. Plus, you've got guys like Von Miller who won one with the Bengals. They know what it's like to be, or not with the Bengals with the Broncos. They know what it's like to be here. Matt Stafford's going to get his magic moment. Give me the Rams, and I think they pull away late to like a 34-21 win. Both unorthodox scores, 34 and a 27. Yeah. Somebody's going to go for two. Somebody's going to miss an extra point. Yeah. Not Evan, not Evan McPherson, but Of course not. He's, no. why would he, how, how could he miss he an extra point? We both have the Rams with the unorthodox score, by the way. Minus, minus one of the extra points for the Rams. I think Von Miller's kind of known for safeties in the Super Bowl. So, so they're going to get to 32 in a late safety? Is that what's going to happen here? Yeah. Oh, I'll pay to see the, that. The last Super Bowl to end in a safety. Find that prop bet somewhere for plus 5,000. Well, I know that I know a Super Bowl that started in a safety. Were the Seahawks involved? 12 seconds in. Poor Peyton. All right. Well, we're going to get Austin out of here, and I'm going to take you home. Let's talk about UFC coming up this weekend. We'll see. Hopefully the dust is settled on the NBA trade deadline so I can get that wrapped up. Talk a little bit of college basketball and get you guys ready for Super Bowl weekend. Super Bowl, Super Bowl. And with those parting words, we have kicked Austin out. He is racing to catch a flight to the frozen tundra that is Minnesota. But we appreciate him making time to come on. And the last couple topics here I want to get to, I want to start with UFC 271, a tremendous card coming up. If you want a sports-filled weekend, not only do you have the Super Bowl, but you've got UFC if you want something to do Saturday night to wet your whistle. And this is a tremendous card, I think, at the top here looking at the main event. I want to talk about the top three fights, uh, top three fights, and we begin with Israel Adesanya versus Robert Whitaker. The story to this one, Israel Adesanya, I would argue, is probably one of the three best fighters in the world and should be their biggest, most marketable star. Great look, tremendous talent, personality. He's great at trash-talking when he needs to. He's got their international appeal. I believe he is Australian and Nigerian, uh, but also can uh, be a tremendous star here in the States. And he can do everything 
in the cage, big, tall, long, uh, amazing kickboxer as well as an MMA fighter. He's 21 and one all time in his career. That only loss came when he bumped up from middleweight to light heavyweight to take on Jan Blahovich. Was that last year, two years ago now? Time goes by too fast. Found that fight to Blahovich. But the middleweight champion, and he took that belt from Robert Whitaker back in 2019. If you need some long reading, check out Robert Whitaker's history in winning the title and trying to get back in the cage. It was quite the odyssey. No time to get into that here, but just a quick shot. I think I'm going to go go Adesanya big in this one. I believe he's the heavy betting favorite, and I would put all your chips on Israel Adesanya. He bounced back from that aforementioned loss with a win over Marvin Vittori. He's basically on his way to cleaning out this division more on his next potential matchup here in a minute, but he's almost cleaned out the division. It's hard to find great matchups for him. Whitaker, this is his shot back at the title. He has won three straights since that bout, uh, several issues for him, but he has won three straights since losing the belt to Adesanya, so this is his title rematch. A huge fight for him, a huge fight if you're a fan in Australia. This entire card has some great Aussie appeal. As much as there is to like about Robert Whitaker, he's a tremendous fighter. I just feel like Israel Adesanya is on, a, on another planet from every other middleweight. I think the only way that he could possibly lose is if he goes up or, dare I say, super fight with Adesanya and Kamaru Usman if Usman wants to move up or they do a catchweight fight. But give me Israel Adesanya in this one. I think it's going to be a tremendous bout. I don't know that we'll get all five rounds, but I think we're going to end with a finish, maybe kind of third or fourth round. I think it's going to be a long fight. Neither of these guys are going to back down. Israel Adesanya has never won by submission in his 21 wins. Handful of decisions in there, but he's mostly a knockout artist. Whitaker can get it done any way you need. But give me Izzy to take home the belt in this one. And then the second fight on the card uh, from the top, Derek Lewis versus Tai Tuivasa. You want a couple bulls that are going to go and go in there and swing at each other. That's exactly what you're getting. Derek Lewis, the number three ranked heavyweight. Tuivasa all the way down there at number 11. We have two guys who are a combined 8-1 and one, uh, in their last nine fights. Lewis has only lost coming to Cyril Ghan, who we know just fought Francis Ngannou. And these are two guys who, if they feel like they've been on every card, it's because they have. These guys, both of them are fighting for the fourth time in a calendar year, which is crazy for how much these guys have gotten into the cage. The smart money, I think, is on Derek Lewis. He's the experienced veteran. He's been around. But I'm going to take Tai Tuivasa here in a minor upset. These are two guys who are going to swing for the fences. Tai Tuivasa 4-0 since a three-loss streak a few years back. He's caught fire, and I think he's really on his way up that heavyweight card and that very, very interesting division. Keep an eye on the UFC heavyweight division here as we figure out what's going on with Nganu, John Jones, Stipe Miocic, some of these other guys, Derek Lewis trying to get back in that title picture. is not there yet, but if he can knock off Lewis, it's going to be a huge feather in his cap. This thing's going to end in a knockout, and it's probably going to end in a knockout early. I don't think we're going to have that very dull, boring, make-you-hate MMA type fight that Nganu and Lewis had a couple years ago. But give me Tai Tuivasa and bet all your money on a knockout one way or the other. This fight is not going to end in submission. It's not going to go the distance. Somebody's going night-night in this one. And the third fight, some guys who may not be the biggest household names, but guys to keep your eye on in that middleweight title chase. Jared Cannonier and Derek Brunson, the number three versus number four ranked in the middleweight division. I do think this is... Whoever wins this is going to be next up for the winner of the Adesanya-Whitaker fight. I think it'll be Adesanya, and I think we're going to be setting up an Adesanya-Cannoneer fight for later in the year. Brunson is has won five straight since he lost in 2018 to, fittingly enough, Israel Adesanya. That was before Adesanya was the champion. 
He took down Brunson back in 2018, won five straight since then. Cannoneer is 4-1 and one in his last five fights, and that comes since dropping to middleweight. He was up there at light heavyweight and maybe a little small for the division. Who knows what the issues were, but he's been tearing through middleweight. So Cannoneer and Brunson... I think you know, have a close fight. Would not be shocked to see this one go the dif- uh, distance. If any one of these top three went to uh, the final bell, I think it'd be this one. But I think Cannoneer's on a tear right now. He's right in that hot streak. Had some rough patches there a couple of years ago, but I think he is on fire. So give me Cannoneer to take this one. So at the top of the card, I'm going Adesanya, Tuavasa, and Cannoneer. I think only one of those would be considered an upset. Either way, you've got a fantastic card all the way from top to bottom, from your early prelims to the just regular prelims to the main card. Andre Arlovsky's in there. Roxanne Modafari's in there. You've got some great names from the up-and-comers all the way to the veterans like those two. So fantastic UFC 271. If you can find a find a few extra dollars to spend or if you want to go to your local watering hole that has it, I think that's one of those cards that's worth it. One other main topic I want to get into this week is the NBA trade deadline, kind of why we waited to do this episode a little bit later. We wanted to see how the dust settled, and good thing we did because a lot of the big deals were at the very end of the trade deadline. The biggest one, the James Harden for the Ben Simmons deal. James Harden going from the Brooklyn Nets to the 76ers in exchange for Mr. Simmons, as well as, uh, I believe, Seth Curry and Andre Drummond also going to Brooklyn. I believe Paul Millsap coming back to the 76ers and other picks in there. But the main one is Harden for Simmons. We know Simmons was fed up in Philly and was never really happy there, and he is happy to get out of town. The rest of the Sixers, Joel Embiid, seem to be be very happy to have him gone. And Harden, not quite sure what happened there. I've never quite understood what his issue was. I Sharing the ball, maybe not being the star next to KD, I would argue he's probably the number two guy because we actually get to see him play, unlike Kyrie Irving. But we thought we were going to have the super team of KD, Harden, and Kyrie, which thought if they can get together, will be one of the best teams we've ever seen. But they only played 16 games together between injuries and COVID and Kyrie sitting out, whatever the issues are. Only 16 games together. They did go 13-3. and These guys could have been something special, but I think that's one of the issues with the NBA. Some guy has to be the one. They can't all be 1A, 1B, 1C. And this was very much Kevin Durant's team. He We'll see what happens after the injury. He was on an all-star tear this year. I would argue that he was the best player this season, maybe right up there with Steph Curry. Two guys who hopefully change their senior will make them happy, but two guys who we know are vocal about their displeasure. Harden was not happy with the Rockets, was happy to get out of there, not happy with the Nets. We'll see if reuniting with his old GM, Daryl Morey, who I believe brought him to Houston from Oklahoma City, if reuniting with him in Philadelphia works out. But my concern is it feels like the Sixers have really put together a fantastic team built around Joel Embiid. When you look at uh, uh, Matisse Thibault, George Niang, Danny Green, Tobias Harris. They've got these right guys in the right places to really help out facilitate Embiid. Embiid's the guy. It's his team. He's another guy who's at an MVP level. How does James Harden fit in with that? Can he handle not being the guy? It didn't really work for the uh, his time with the Nets. He's probably going to be the ball handler here. It would not shock me if he brings it up. He's going to get more of his shots. But how do he and how do he and Embiid coexist? I think it's no shocker. You need to have two or three megastars in this league to succeed. But not everybody is like Steph and Clay and Draymond, where you have that brotherhood and that unity. If Harden and Embiid can coexist, I think they absolutely become among the favorites in the East. Uh, we'll look at those East rankings here in a second. And then for the Nets, this is very curious. Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving, if Kyrie gets back in, we'll see how the rest of the season shakes out. If those two can coexist, how does that look? I think Simmons will be slightly more agreeable and happy playing 
with the Nets. Uh, doesn't necessarily need to shoot. He just wants to be somewhere where I think he's valued and happy. And He can be the ball handler. He can play D. All he has to do is kick out to Kevin Durant and let Kevin Durant score. And the Nets desperately needed some sort of change. They've lost 10 in a row as I'm recording this. Absolutely tanked down to the 8th spot. They were number 1 for a while in the East. Durant's injured. Aldridge is injured. Joe Harris is injured. Kyrie Harden missed time. So the Nets are in a free fall. And if Ben Simmons can come in and be the salvation for this team, that's going to earn him a lot of credit. The Nets, I think, are still in contention in the East, but I do not feel as rosy about it as I did early in the year. Uh, looking at those Eastern Conference standings, how about the Miami Heat quietly sneaking up to the first spot? They're kind of always there in that 3-4-5 range, but won seven of their last 10 as I'm doing this episode. They've another team. That's what I've noticed a lot with the contenders. Not a lot of moves for contenders. Miami stayed pat. You've got Chicago at two stayed pat. Uh, Cleveland picking up Karis LeVert was their only move there at three. The Bucks at four, getting Serge Ibaka, I really like that move, a guy who can come in and play next to or give Bobby Portis a spell, give Giannis a bit of a break. You mostly want Serge Ibaka for that defense, the rebounding, and I think that locker room. He strikes me as a guy who's great on any team, veteran leader, plays hard, does his job, not a guy who needs the ball. He'll let all the other guys in Milwaukee do their jobs. But just a fantastic piece, probably a role player, six, seven man at this point in time in his career. I love that move for the Bucks. Philly's down there at five. How about the Raptors sitting there at six? Nobody's talking about the Raptors. Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet leading the way there. OG Ananobi. They got rid of Ibaka. I believe it was Thaddeus Young who came back in the pick. Watch out for the Raptors. They're getting hot. I did not see this coming from that team. They're going to be right in there contending. I think they're comfortably in those top six. We'll see what happens with Philadelphia again. Philadelphia and the Nets are kind of wild cards. The Celtics didn't make a whole lot of moves for their starters, I believe mostly maintained their entire starting five, but went for some depth, brought back Daniel Tice to this team. I don't love the Celtics. I I wish they were doing better. They've won six in a row and eight of their last 10. So they're catching fire right now, kind of the anti-Brooklyn Nets. But it's just been a hard season to watch them. And even though Danny Ainge is gone, it's good to see the Celtics maintaining that Danny Ainge Wheeling and dealing, trades here and there, a lot of draft picks, a lot of role players, moving guys all over the place. Down number nine, Charlotte, 10, the Hawks. Yeah, they may make the playoffs. I wish the Hawks were doing far better. But then you get to these teams on the outside looking in, and this is why I'm a little curious. The Wizards picking up Kristaps Porzingis. I love the idea of Porzingis and Beal next to each other. I always thought it was more get Beal out of town, not bring talent to them. But the Wizards feel like an army of young guys trying to break out and going to see where that goes. Porzingis, oft injured, but amazing when he's on. Bradley Beal, amazing, but injured, and I believe missing the rest of the season. So the Wizards in a curious place. Porzingis coming over is not all that shocking. We've heard that he and Doncic maybe were not the best of friends, and Dallas is all about pleasing Luka, and so I got Porzingis out of town. Hopefully somewhere he's happier. And the Knicks. The Knicks did nothing to improve it. I don't know that they made any moves. Didn't add somebody to get them back in contention. Didn't sell off pieces for the future. The Knicks in a curious place. The Pacers, one of the busiest teams, trading their big guy, DeMontis Sabonis, their best player, to the Kings. We'll talk more about that when we get to the Western Conference. Not sure what to make of the Pacers. They're not going anywhere anytime soon. I don't know why poor Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald now have to be stuck in that miasma. Kind of wish those guys could have ended up in better situations. But you look at the Pacers, team with a lot of... A lot of youth, but especially a lot of guards. A lot of small bodies there for the Pacers. Miles Turner, kind of the lone big man now, and he's injured at the moment. So don't expect the Pacers to do anything. Looking at that 11-15, to 15, I don't know who I see jumping into the play-in round. I think your top... I, I would think your top eight are getting in from Miami all the way down to Brooklyn. 
But that Charlotte, Atlanta, Washington, and then I would say the Knicks, I think those four are going to be competing. I don't love any of their chances. No, Bradley Beal takes Washington out. So I think New York has a chance at least being healthy with Julius Randle, RJ Barrett, and company. But that, that 9, 10, 11, 12, you're basically setting yourself up to get destroyed. I, I love the Heat. That's the one thing, getting back to our point here. These teams kept their course together. Miami, no big moves. The Bulls, no big moves. A lot of moves in the offseason. And they've since kind of got that thing humming. And the Bulls, standing pat. Cleveland, good. we all love to see this. Good for the Cavaliers to be doing this, hanging in their three. But I think you're still looking at your main teams, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and Brooklyn. If if the Harden-Simmons trade works out and then Giannis is going to do Giannis things and the Bucks are going to be fine, I would love to see Chicago do it. That would be my favorite story if they can run through it. But Milwaukee's going to be there, and this either is going to work amazingly in both Philly and Brooklyn are going to be contenders or it's absolutely going to implode i don't think either of these teams are going to be middling teams this is either going to be amazing win-win or lose-lose i don't think you're going to look at two teams that are going to be sitting at 500 by year's end and flipping over to the western conference kind of the same thing the teams who are at the top really didn't do anything your number one seed phoenix you basically got three teams that have pulled away phoenix golden state and memphis and i don't think any of them really made any major deals all kind of standing pat which when you've got your core if it ain't broke don't fix it why why would you change anything uh phoenix especially they're looking fantastic keeping that team together from last year nine and one in their last 10 golden state and memphis both eight and two in their last 10 and how about the grizzlies we keep waiting for them to fall but john moran's been one of the best players in the league i think he went maybe top four in our all-star draft was that last week he just did that and then the Jazz, getting rid of Joe Ingles, which I think you've really seen. He just became an expendable piece for them. A fantastic 3 and D guy, but will likely miss this entire year. He ended up on the Portland Trailblazers, but highly suspect that he'll ever actually suit up in the black and red. But when you've got Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Jordan Clarkson, and they added Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and then you have Boyan Bogdanovich at the small forward, really kind of Joe Ingles was not as much of a core piece anymore. He was one of the guys who got him there and has been a valuable piece for many years for them, a great success story. But they're able to move on from him. He'll probably end up somewhere next year if he comes back healthy as a fantastic role player. I would love to see him end up on a contender, maybe a team that's just on the cusp of getting over the hump. But the Jazz right there at four. Dallas, we mentioned the Kristaps Porzingis thing. I don't know how Dallas is the fifth seed right now. I don't love this team. I think if the West were better, we always kind of think of the West being so good. But when you look at the West, it's looking a little treacherous outside those top four. And then I refuse to ever give up on my Nuggets. Another team that stood pat there with the Nuggets. Minnesota, no huge moves. And then you get to your two LA teams. I've been such a defender of this Lakers fan, but it gets harder as the weeks go by. You watch them lose to a Blazers team that just traded everybody and is starting a bunch of guys we've never heard of. I don't know what to make of the Lakers. I'll wait till we have Andrew on here to tell us what's going on with the Lake Show. But the Clippers and the Lakers both sitting down there. And then the Pelicans, very interesting. Not having Zion's not going to go anywhere, but adding C.J. McCollum, I think, is a tremendous pickup for them. I feel a little bad for C.J. to go to a team so far down, but he could be the guy there to really lead the way until Zion gets back. He's a fantastic locker room guy, tremendous leader. He can shoot the ball. He can handle. So you've got Ingram next to C.J. McCollum. C.J. McCollum, Brandon, Brandon Ingram leading the way there until Zion gets back. That could be a sneaky good three-headed monster for the Pelicans with the veteran bringing along the young guys. Portland is clearly selling. I think they were the, if you're looking at the team tearing it down here at the deadline, it was the Blazers getting rid of C.J. McCollum was the big one, being involved in all these trades where a bunch of guys flipped teams but never actually suited up for the Blazers. Some guys were going to get buyout deals and become free agents. Damian Lillard's injured. 
for the rest of the year. CJ McCollum's gone. If anything, it's almost shocking they didn't get rid of Yusuf Nurkic in exchange for some role players or some picks. But it's basically his team now, he and Anthony Simons. So we'll see what Anthony Simons has as the young guy for them. We talked about the Kings. I want this to work out for the Kings. They just kind of feel like they always move around young guys and never get any better. They're all the way down at the 12. That I love the duo of DeMontis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox together. In my head, that feels like it should work. You've got the big guy in the middle who can still rebound and score. You've got De'Aaron Fox to run the show, which I, I get if you want to get rid of Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald, some of these other guards, to really build around De'Aaron Fox. But they need a couple more pieces. You know, Harrison Barnes is a nice piece for them. Mel Harkless, those guys are a nice supporting cast, but I think they need somebody else special to come in there and make a big three to really get them up there. Maybe not to the top, but they could at least be in that four, five, six. Then you get to the bottom and really nothing to write home about here in the West. Um, looking here, see if there's any other big deals that we missed on. Um, getting back to the Mavericks, I will say, I will have to give them credit. I do like Davis Bertans. I believe he's a little banged up right now. But if he's healthy, a tremendous big guy who can step out and shoot. And then Spencer Dinwiddie, one of the smartest, most likable guys. I think we've talked about him here on the show more than anybody else has. We love Spencer Dinwiddie. How he works next to Doncic will be interesting. But I think they Dallas got some good things back for Porzingis, but they're that five spot right now. Again, Phoenix at one, Golden State two, Memphis three, Utah four, Dallas five, and Denver six. Unless one of those Los Angeles teams catch fire, I don't think anybody's breaking that top four. I think you're looking at the Suns, Warriors, and then maybe even being generous to think that the Grizzlies and the Jazz and Nuggets have a chance. And props to the Timberwolves. Not sure where this is coming from. Seven and three in their last 10. Up to that seven seed, so good for them. But it's the Timberwolves, so I can never quite be super confident. You're the, dare I say, the East better than the West this year? I'll save that conversation for two weeks when we have Andrew back on. But the East, when you look at the top, East may be more talented for the West for the first time in about 20 years. So we'll see what he has to say about that. Looking at the NFL awards ceremony... MVP goes to Aaron Rodgers, not all that shocking. I at various points argued that Matt Stafford should get it. By the end of the year, I think it should have gone to Tom Brady, but not too surprising if they went with Aaron Rodgers here. Mike Vrabel getting the coach of the year. I love to see that. I'm a big Mike Vrabel fan. We never give the Titans enough respect. But for him to get them to the number one seed in the AFC, mostly without Derrick Henry, props to him for the culture and the system that he's built there with Tennessee. Offensive player of the year, which is basically, since we only give MVPs to quarterbacks, we had to make up other awards. Cooper Cup for the Rams, absolutely deserve it. No problem there. I think it was probably between he and Jonathan Taylor for me, so no surprise. TJ Watt on the defensive side of the ball, he's the guy who all year long, I would have guessed that, who would have won that award. So props to Mr. Watt. Love to see it for him. Comeback player of the year, Joe Burrow, the darling of the NFL right now. Not too surprising. Rookie of the year, Jamar Chase. Um... I can't really say I'm too shocked with that one. I think I may have argued for a couple other guys at various points, but I know these are regular season awards. You can't really ignore what the Bengals are doing, though. Burrow and Chase getting a lot of credit. The AP Defensive Rookie of the Year, Micah Parsons running away. There, No shock. This one was probably locked up by about Week 10. Uh, Andrew Whitworth, congratulations to him, the Walter Payton Man of the Year. And the Hall of Fame class, this is kind of what I want to get into. Leroy Butler, Bryant Young, Sam Mills, Cliff Branch, Richard Seymour, Art McNally, Tony Baselli, and Dick Vermeil. Uh, Dick Vermeil, one of the great all-time coaches. Tony Baselli, is he the first Jaguar to get in, I believe? Uh, absolutely deserves, I think, the first draft pick in Jaguars history. So props to Mr. Baselli for getting in. Cliff Branch uh, absolutely deserves it. Sam Mills, tremendous story. Love to see him in there. 
Richard Seymour is one of the ones that surprised me a little bit that I people brought it up and I didn't think that he would get in. But everybody's deserving. Congratulations to everybody. We never want to take anything away. So let's celebrate all the greatness that these people did in the NFL. I do want to look ahead just a little bit. We're, we're going to be that cliche show for a minute here and look ahead to the 2023 Hall of Fame class. And my apologies. I do not have the first ballot people coming up, but the guys who are on this year and didn't make it, uh, ones that I think will be in eventually, I do think Devin Hester deserves to get in. As a special teamer, we, for some reason, overlook this, but punters, kickers, returners should be in the Hall of Fame more often. We're starting to see some of the guys with the legs get in, but Devin Hester is the best return man in the NFL, even if he was not a tremendous down, every down wide receiver. As a kick returner, punt returner, he's the best ever do it. I absolutely think he should get in. Andre Johnson needs to get in, was up for the first time this year and didn't make it, which isn't all that surprising. I'm not too heartbroken when guys don't get in on the first time. There's so many guys coming up that deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, so it takes a while to clear it out. Absolutely, I think he should be in. You have some, um, he and Torrey Holt both getting in. I think Torrey Holt's just on the cusp. I don't think he's quite in there, but Andre Johnson for me is absolutely in. Uh, Demarcus Ware, I think, gets in. He's a fantastic, uh, one of the best, I think, kind of hybrid. And we look at the new era of NFL, guys like Von Miller, that linebacker defensive end type that you see with the J.J. Watts of the world. I think Demarcus Ware was kind of one of the archetypes for that that we now see. There's so many guys that I just think of from my childhood and young adulthood. Reggie Wayne, Patrick Willis, I mentioned Torrey Holt. So many of these guys, I'm like, "Eh, should they get in? Maybe, maybe not. But yeah, for me, those are the guys who absolutely have to get in. I could be swayed on some of the other ones, somebody like a Rondé Barber or a Jared Allen. But next year's class, I think absolutely should include Devin Hester, Andre Johnson, and Demarcus Ware. But congratulations again to all the different award winners that we had in the NFL this year. It's time. It is Super Bowl weekend. My heart, I want the Bengals. Go Bengals. I'm cheering for you. But if I had to pick, I'm going to go with the Rams. Happy Super Bowl weekend, everybody. Enjoy it. Get out there. Be safe. Be smart. Um, But enjoy the Super Bowl. And we will check in next week with our Super Bowl recap episode. We'll get back into some college basketball, maybe talk about the Olympics. I apologize, Winter Olympics fan, that we just have not given the Olympics their time of day yet. Thank you for joining us on the Sports Gospel. We'll see you next week.